we are continuing in our stories from Genesis, and some of them are pretty tough. We have one of those today. It's from Genesis chapter 22, verses 1 through 14. After these events, and the events that just happened were the ones we read about last week, where Hagar and Ishmael were sent out to the desert and rescued by God, but they're no longer a part of Abraham's household. So after these events, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham! Abraham answered, I'm here. God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the land of Moriah. Offer him up as an entirely burned offering on one of the mountains that I will show you. Abraham got up early in the morning, harnessed his donkey, and took two of his young men with him, together with his son Isaac. He split the wood for the entirely burned offering, set out, and went to the place God had described to him. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place at a distance. Abraham said to his servants, stay here with the donkey. The boy and I will walk up there, worship, and then come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the entirely burned offering and laid it on his son Isaac. He took the fire and the knife in his hand. And the two of them walked on together. Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father? Abraham said, I'm here, my son. Isaac said, here is the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the entirely burned offering? Abraham said, the lamb? For the entirely burned offering, God will see to it, my son. The two of them walked on together. They arrived at the place God had described to him. Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He tied up his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to kill his son as a sacrifice. But the Lord's messenger called out to Abraham from heaven, Abraham, Abraham. Abraham said, I'm here. The messenger said, don't stretch out your hand against the young man and don't do anything to him. I now know that you... Revere God, didn't hold back your son, your only son, from me. Abraham looked up and saw a single ram caught by its horns in the dense underbrush. 
Abraham went over, took the ram, and offered it as an entirely burned offering instead of his son. Abraham named that place, the Lord sees. That is the reason people today say, on this mountain, the Lord is seen. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Some stories are harder than others to say thanks be to God for. As we were getting up from children's time, one of the kids said, I don't like that story. Which is fair. They aren't wrong. It's a terrifying story. Makes me sick to my stomach every time I encounter it. I would prefer to skip it, to snip it out of my Bible, but it would still be there. So we might as well wrestle with it, see if we can wrestle a blessing, even from this text. A friend of mine summed up three ways to look at this story. There are surely many more than this, but I appreciated his framework. The first is the glass half full reading. God provided a ram, so it was fine. It was all fine. No lasting damage. Then there's the glass half empty reading, which is, that's a pretty awful thing to ask anyone to do. I am probably more on the glass half empty side on this one. But then my friend offered another perspective. Maybe this story is actually arguing against itself, saying God is not actually like this. One way to read the Bible, and there are many, but one way to read the Bible is as a record of people's sacred encounters with the divine. And just as all of human experience, they encountered God in their place, and in their time, and in their culture. And as place and time and culture changed, people's understandings of God changed. And the Bible can be read as a record of that transformation, that movement of the Spirit. So maybe this story is a story of a changing understanding of God. Abraham understands more about God as the story goes on. And the point is that Abraham comes to learn that his God, our God, is not a God who requires the sacrifice of a child which might seem like an obvious point to us today. But child sacrifice was common at that time. There are references to it throughout our Bible. In Leviticus, there are rules against it, which means people were doing it, 
and had to be told to stop. And the prophets through the centuries continue to rail against the practice. So this is something they struggled with for a long time. The most haunting reference to me is this obscure little verse in 1 Kings chapter 16, verse 34, that says that when Jericho was rebuilt, the foundations were laid at the cost of the king's oldest son, Abiram. And the gates were hung at the cost of his youngest son, Segub. For a long time, People thought you might really need to sacrifice your children. Thank God we don't do that anymore. Except when we do, 11 million children live in poverty in our country including one in six under the age of six. These children face hunger and housing insecurity and disability and learning delays and poorer health and earlier death. We sacrifice these children because of how we choose to distribute our wealth. We could make different choices. And then, of course, there's the toll of gun violence. In the U.S., nearly 4,000 children are killed and 15,000 children are wounded by guns every year. That is an average of 52 children a day. And the effects, of course, extend further than just those who are struck by a bullet. An estimated 3 million children witness a shooting each year. And that affects their lives forever. And when we, as a society, shrug and say, That's just how it's going to be. We are sacrificing our children on the altar of an industry that rakes in $9 billion a year. And we can't forget companies like Target and Ford and Tyson and Ben & Jerry's that employ immigrant children as young as 10 who have come to this country fleeing violence in their home countries, seeking refuge and care here, only to be exploited as cheap labor in violation of labor laws and in violation of human decency. These children are sacrificed on the altar of increasing profits and growing stockholder 
dividends. Abraham believed God was asking him to sacrifice Isaac. It was awful, but not surprising. This was just what a God required sometimes. So he began to do as God commanded him. He gathered the supplies, took Isaac, began walking. But, and we've talked a lot about Abraham's not-so-great qualities, I think this is one of his best. He kept listening. When my grandmother, who grew up in the church, would encounter preachers she didn't think much of, she would say, he says God called him, but I think he hung up before God was done. (laughs) Abraham didn't hang up. He kept listening. And he heard something different. A new word from God. Abraham came to believe that God does not want us to sacrifice our children for anything. The prophet Micah put it this way, Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams and torrents of oil? Should I give my oldest child for my crime, the fruit of my body for the sin of my spirit? No. God has told you, mortal, what is good and what the Lord requires from you to do justice, love kindness, walk humbly with your God. Stop, God said. Don't kill the boy. And thank goodness Abraham kept listening and kept learning. He discovered in that moment that the God he had come to know through all these years does not want us to sacrifice our children or each other on any altar. And if there is something that seems to require the sacrifice of some lives, some kids then that voice is not the voice of the God of Abraham and Isaac, Sarah and Hagar and Ishmael. It may be another voice, the voice of prophet, the voice of supposed freedom, the voice of consumption. But it is not the voice of the living God who is love. It's a pretty good litmus test, really, for a society, for a policy, for a way of living. If the way we structure our communities, distribute our wealth, protect our freedoms, produce our goods, requires us to have a little collateral damage, 
sacrifice some folks, then it is not of God. When we build the beloved community, which is what we are trying to do here, no one is expendable. In the body of Christ, everyone is needed, particularly the weakest, the most powerless. The consistent biblical metric, Old and New Testament, for judging a way of life, whether it be individual or societal, is how it cares for the most vulnerable, for the child in foster care, for the widow who is scraping by and choosing between food and medicine, for the immigrant who has come for safety and care. Stop, God says. Don't kill the boy. When we create community centered around Christ, not only do the most vulnerable begin to flourish and flower, but we are also set free. We are set free from a way of life of fear and greed and pursuit of constant productivity, trying to earn the worth that God has already given us. Stop, said God. Don't kill the boy. And out of the corner of his eye, Abraham caught a glimpse of a different way. A way of life that is free and abundant and beautifully good. So may we keep listening, keep learning, not hang up, and live more fully day by day into the commonwealth of God where all are seen and known and cherished and loved. Amen.